What's going on, guys? AJ here bringing you yet a very special episode of the E1B2 Collector Podcast. I'm giving you guys a sneak peek in the behind the scenes of a very fascinating keynote that I gave today where we talked about Project 2030, guys. This is a very big deal. We talked to over 400 plus attendees of of an amazing conference. I was so thrilled, so honored, so excited to be a part of this. And we talked about everything to do with Project 2030. And we talked about employee experience and we talked about the role of an HR leader, a.k.a. a CHRO, a.k.a. a head of people. And we talked about have, how, to, how to have a little bit more of a, a structure around account, accountability structures and, and decision making structures and bandwidth and professional branding and how to have strategic points of views as a leader and how to find that within the HR scope. We talked about so much. So, again, listen, guys, this is a very interesting episode. I usually don't give too many behind the scenes looks, but here's another one. I have given a few, but I'm again, really excited for you guys to consume this. This is a behind the scenes look at an amazing keynote that I was a, uh, a co-speaker um, within my partner, Laura. She crushed it as well. So I'm super excited. You guys are going to hear the depths and the realities and the context of what the Project 2030 brand truly is and what we're trying to manifest and create. So uh, thank you to Laura. Thank you to everyone a part of this amazing conference. Thank you, Kata. And uh, thank you to everyone, again, that that were a part of this amazing experience. Uh, Enjoy this behind the scenes. Don't tell anybody. We'll get right back into it. Countdown is oh. Hey, Anthony, you know what? Cobb is in Mazatlan right now. I am in Mexico. Oh, you're lucky. Boo. Yeah, it's a tough life. Someone has to live it. <laughs> so if you hear a lot of birds, that's me. It's a good sound. It is. I need to sit up higher. My, my name and title are so high. <laughs> It's funny because the more people on screen, like the smaller the window gets for you to show. All right. Hello, everyone. We're going to wait um, a few more moments just to let people kind of trickle in. I know it's been a long day of a lot of sessions, too. So um, we'll hold off before we dive in. Yeah, people have to come back from that wellness break. They should be feeling all, you know, relaxed and refreshed. Ready to talk about some hardcore HR topics? <laughs> I guess <not. laughs> okay. okay, here, let's start now, just because I want to make sure we have more than enough time. Um, so thank you, everyone, for joining. My name is Kata. I'm the head of people and culture uh, for Credit Sesame Canada. Um, I'm joined today here with Anthony and Laura, and our topic we're going to be discussing is why aren't the, pe- why aren't the people responsible for engagement leading the process of engaging? Um, Before we jump into the intros, I want to do some very quick housekeeping here. Um, This is going to be a little different, I think, than the other sessions you might have been attending today. So today's session is a fireside chat um, where we'll get to hear both Laura and Anthony discuss some very obviously important issues. Um, So with that being said, we're not going to have a 10-minute block at the end for questions. So we really want you to be engaged. So on the right, you'll see this chat function, you'll see the polls, you'll see the Q&A, and you'll see the ability to raise your hand. So what you're going to be doing is using that. So if you have any questions, if anything that's said really resonates with you, type something in. Um, with that being said as well, there's that little smiley face on the bottom of the screen, um, and you can react. So if you like something, you can throw some emojis up, and there we go, and take advantage of that. 
Um, we also want to remind everyone to just be respectful during this in the chats and with your questions. Um, and lastly, if you're active on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, any of those fun social medias, please use the hashtag. So it is hashtag SHRC21 um, with all of your posts. So to jump in and to introduce you to our lovely speakers today, um, we have Laura Sukorakoff. I think I said it right. Um, Laura. So good. I've been practicing it. <laughs> it's so intimidating. Laura, it's like multisyllabic and many, many letters. I like phonetically spelled it out and I'm like, okay, okay, practice. Um, I'm glad I did it. Um, so Laura has always had a passion for the employee experience um, and she knows managers are the key to that experience. Her mission is to guide managers in the creation of human-centered uh, workplaces and in doing so, help to change the corporate world. Um, Laura is a highly regarded speaker, author, learning and development professional, and author of It's Not Them, It's You, Why Employees Break Up with Their Managers and What to Do About It. Um, as a partner in Project 2030, Laura works with HR practitioners to develop their skills so they can speak the language of leadership. Um, and then Hi, everybody. <laughs> and now we also have Anthony Vaughn, who prefers AJ. Um, AJ is an out-of-the-box radical hybrid who's obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and employee, employee experience. Um, he's a current three-time founder, startup advisor, executive, and proud son. His rise within the world of HR and entrepreneurship is one that's definitely not typical, um, but his focus and dedication to putting employees first drives him to help forever change the world of work. Um, Anthony, AJ, is currently working on a brand that will hopefully forever change the world of work, um, the E1B2 Collective, um, a collective of brands and practitioners designed to make substantial employee experience within the world of startups and small brands. So thank you so much for both of you for joining us. I'm so excited to listen to this conversation. I'm excited as well. Thank you. Yeah, that's so great. Thanks so much, Kata, for that. Well, really enthusiastic introduction. I really appreciate that. And I have to say that, um, you know, if anybody, any of you were at my session this morning, you will see that this introduction shows me as a lot more professional person than this morning when Bakari uh, got into how I took a turn in my career shoveling horse poo for a while. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Excellent stress reliever, but maybe not the most uh, crazy resume building thing. So, <laughs> Anthony, what's the craziest thing you've ever done for a job? Oh, um, nothing crazy. Probably Burger King. That's not really oh, that. Cra King. Not really that that crazy. But it wasn't too much fun. I'm not a I'm not a flipping burgers type of guy. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. How about you in the uh, audience? Why don't you put in chat? What is the like craziest job you've ever done? We'll give it while people are doing that. Uh, we'll just give it a moment here. Oh, let's see what's in there already. Oh, Sarah, forklift operator. I had a chance to talk to Sarah earlier today. Sarah, you missed that out in our discussion. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome job, I have to say. So please feel free to pop those jobs that you've had, the things that you think are kind of like, what? I, knowing what you do now. Um, oh, Trisha Bullwinkle, she got to wear the Mountie hat. Yes, oh that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have a Subway sandwich artist, another food services person in our group, Anthony. Okay. We are sorry, AJ. Uh, Cherry May says, I wouldn't say it was crazy, but I volunteered at an eco farm in Columbia. I loved it, that's though cool. I picked up horse poo too. Yes, you know what? Interestingly enough. 
picking up horse poo is actually kind of a nice job. Very satisfying. You get your workout and you get to see like the lovely um, fruits of your labors, if you will. Oh, we've had a Kirby vacuum sales, customer service and retail. There's lots of really cool things that people are chiming in with. Um, so I am sitting here beside like I'm actually, you know, right beside a literal fireplace right now. This is in fact a fireside chat format, as Kata said earlier. So we really do welcome your conversation, your discussion, your questions, and we're happy to bring you up on stage to chat with us. You know, we can bring up your video, bring up your audio, and really just let's sink in and talk about stuff. Okay. Oh, AJ, did you see Dawn worked at Burger King as well? So there you go. You got a, a point of connection right there. I lasted six months. We we'll wonder how long he lasted. I lasted six months. I'm not. I'm not a good employee. Yeah, Don. How long did you last at that? Let's see what she says. Four years. Whoa, oh, wow. trooper. Well done. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of jobs and speaking of um, work and how it may or may not be so great. Uh, Anthony, you and I are collaborating on a project. We're calling it Project 2030. And this has been quite a passion project for both of us, hasn't it? Um, I would love for you to just talk for a little bit about what sparked this whole thing. What, what made you, what brought this idea to mind and kind of what made you reach out to me and, and let's just share with everybody yeah. how this came to be. Yeah, I can give you, uh, I'll try to, Keep keep it tight here, and do do me a favor, Laura. Please reel me in, because you guys know I can start to rant and rave for a bit. Um, I uh, I started a series of companies very early in my career. Um, the first company that I had was had a partnership with Under Armour, so the, the success of that company for me at the time, being nineteen, was pretty massive. Now. I lost that company at 21 due to a series of leadership and people operation mistakes. So that was the first time that I realized that this whole HR employee experience, people operations kind of term and thing uh, came to light for me. And uh, when I lost that company, obviously that was devastating. But instead of, I think, putting my head back down and building another company and just focusing on entrepreneurship, what I did do is I did kind of go down that path and I started a second company, but I also kind of went into the cave, if you will. Uh, I'm a former athlete, so anytime we go into the gym, we refer to that as the cave. Um, I started studying. I started researching. I started becoming an Adam Grant, if you will, when it comes to all the things that we know and love when it comes to leadership, people operations, employee experience, human behavior, emotional intelligence, organizational psychology, the list can go on and on. And what I found out about five years later of three hours a day, every day studying that this thing called employee experience that is typically led by the CHRO or the head of people role in any given company is a really important one to an organization. So that's just number one. That's the that's the all the way back kind of foundation. Um, let's speed up a little bit here. I have given about 19 keynotes in fireside chat conversations inside of Sherm chapters. And inside of those chapters, I realized speaking to HR graduate students that they all wanted to become a CHRO or a head of people. Now, Laura, you may know this. This is the first time, frankly, and I did my research on this. I think we've ever seen this. I think a lot of folks in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even mid-2000s, typically when you're at the executive level, you probably fell into HR somewhere in your career. You were not uh, sitting at the dinner table with mom and dad saying, you know what? 
I want to become this thing called a chief HR officer. I want to become this thing called a head of people. I want to become this thing that, that plays at the highest levels in a company at the HR space. No one thought about that, right? People talked about marketing. People talked about you know operations. People talked about maybe being the CEO. People talked about being an astronaut. No one talked about this. Um, that's very different now. And I only would have figured out that data through my, my experiences at the university level inside of these Sherm chapters. So what I figured out then after thinking about that, I was like, that's interesting. There's no playbook here. And what I mean by that is there's no playbook of how you go from a generalist or you go from someone in a Sherm chapter to becoming a CHRO. Now, I think there's a couple playbooks around how to be a specialist. I think there's a couple playbooks around how to be a generalist. I think there's a couple of playbooks and maybe even how to be an HR manager, but there were no playbooks around how to never be inevitably a CHRO. So that's number one. Number two, and then, I'll, and then I'll end it off here, Laura. What I also figured out is that from my experience running companies, from my experience now running a multitude of companies where we jump in and really help companies operationalize employee experience, what I realized is that the head of people role, the CHRO, CHRO role is one that is very strategic. It's one that has a lot of leadership capabilities within it. It's one that should be respected. And during the track of trying to become that, when you're an individual practitioner, when you're a generalist, you're taught, let's call it what it is, very individual practitioner type experiences and roles and tactics. Now, being a CHRO, it's very strategic. It's very leadership driven. You're now being thrusted into having conversations with CEOs, CFOs, CTOs, COOs, all these C-suite level folks. And it's a different complexity. And I realized very quickly that there was no playbook, no teachings of how to go from a 10-year experience generalist or specialist, and maybe even an HR manager or director, and then being thrusted to think about things at a very strategic level as a leader. So mm -hmm. that's the whole gist of how this all came about, why I'm excited about it. And um, hopefully I didn't say too much. <laughs> well, you always do, Anthony, but, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, when AJ first came to me about this project and how, you know, how we need to help HR people find their way to the executive boardroom table. And we need to uh, determine how we can support them in their professional development to, so they have the influence and the impact that they need to have around that executive boardroom table. And as we were talking about things, as we were discussing, as we were planning, one of the things that we came up against was, you know, the people who are responsible for leading engagement in an organization are not very often at that table where those strategic decisions are being made. In fact, some executive says, hey, we got to work on company culture. And then they just go to HR and they say, hey, we need to work on company culture, go. And HR kind of gets dumped upon and they don't really know what they're doing. They've got a whole bunch of other tasks and things that they still have to do to keep the company you know, running, to keep everything on the rails. And so here we are in a situation where they are given all the accountability and all the work, but they're not part of that decision-making process. In the pandemic, this has just been highlighted, really. You know, what's been going on with people, with, with remote work, with furloughs, with layoffs, with all of these things that are happening as a result of this pandemic, as a result of all the social issues, as a result of everything that's been going on. HR has really been pushed into the spotlight here. 
And so I, one of the things that we have always talked about, AJ, you and me, is why is this the case? Why is HR being left out of the executive boardroom? And while you're giving your opinion and I'm giving my opinion, I would love to hear from our audience as well, you know, what their opinion is of this. So why do you think, why do you think they're not getting any respect in the, in the executive boardroom? I think a couple of things. I think, I think the individual practitioners that hold these roles that I just referred to, let me, let me, let me go in a couple of different directions. I'm trying to process where I want to take, cause I think there's three different issues. Number one, I think those folks that I just alluded to, I want to see a little bit more onus out of them. I want to see a little bit more proactiveness around them to try to figure out what does it actually mean to be a leader? Number one, what does it mean to think strategically around these things? I, I think that it's a responsibility of them, right? I, you know, I raised my hand to be the first to say, I didn't grow up in this world. You know, I came from a completely different background and I made it my mission to figure out what it looked like, and what it felt like, and what it and what it really how to actually go about being a CHRO or being ahead of people or being anyone in the HR space, how to do that tactically, also how to do that strategically. So that's number one. It's it's I, I believe it's on them. And, and I don't know if they have enough cheerleaders behind the scenes that are saying, go learn those things, go invest time and energy and resources into those things. So that's number one. Number two, I think the way that I look at it is the way these organizations are designed, let's just call it objectively what it is. These folks are head down 90% of the scope of their role. And so it is very unrealistic at times to put them in a very strategic leadership, thoughtful type scenario here because there are very objective bottom line things that need to happen within those roles. So I also think that's another issue. Now, that's on the brand. Right. Because the brand is not doing enough of a good job of succession planning and, and, and scoping out who inevitably wants to be more strategic in these roles. Right. So that's on the brand. And then I think just at a macro level, it's now starting to come around for the very first time. And I did my research because I'm a I look like I'm 47, but I'm very much of a younger man. And so I did my research to go back into the 80s and the 90s and even the mid 2000s. And I realized that this is the very first time. Unless you let's maybe even give people a little bit of credit. Let's go back 10 years. So from what are we in 2021 here? So let's go back 10 years and let's think about the last 10 years is probably the first time employee experience, people operations, people analytics, DE&I, all these topics are, you know, in your world, learning and development. These things are now starting to be very strategic conversation that organizations are finally kind of starting to come around to. And so my short answer is this. My short, long answer, long, short answer is this. I believe folks are not putting themselves in position to learn these things for themselves mm-hmm. and being very strategic about how the way they navigate their careers. I think also the organizations are putting them in very individual contributor type roles, very tactical type roles, and they're not thinking about their employees, aka these HR, HR practitioners, to put them in a leadership spot and position. So um, there's a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, I want to circle back to this idea of they're just not thinking about it. But before I do, there we've got a raised hand and we've got Sarah. She's put a comment into chat. So I'm going to start with Sarah because she was there first. She brings up, I think part of it is that HR has a reputation for being the bad guys or the bad gals. Yep. You don't hear from them unless you're in trouble. So avoiding HR at all costs is the modus operandi. And, you know, Sarah, I think you've said a mouthful there. And I think it's so unfortunate because the HR people that I know are 
really nice people. I would not classify them as bad guys, but it's because so much of their role has to do with corporate governance and, you know, policies and regulations and procedures and, and sticking by the rule of the company road, you know, they do have this situation that they're sort of forced into of being a bad guy, of being the person that um, brings down the hammer when policies are violated or what have you. Yep. So, and, and, and so if that's the case, if they're just viewed as the people that enforce company policy, then they're not really considered as strategic contributors to the organization, I suppose. They're the enforcers. I'm just going to check while you're responding, Anthony, I'm just going to check. Michael Ryan, you put up your hand. Um, Kata, I'm not sure how to bring Michael on stage. Do I just click on it? Or, there oh, he is. He's out. Hey, Michael. Howdy. Hey, what do you have to add? Um, I find, I'm looking at this from a little different perspective. Only, oh, hang on. There's a way I can turn my camera on. Look at that. Yeah, there, there you, you are. There you are, Michael. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I'm about 15 minutes away from having my commerce degree conferred on me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, just coming out of the education environment. My major is management, not HR. Yep. And I wanted to be on the symposium because I want to understand what management needs to know relative to HR so that if I get into that role, I can hire the right people. Yep. Or at least know what they need to know so that that can be the case. One of the things that came out of an employee relations class I just finished taking was that perceptually, um, we I believe that there's an educational component to this as well, Anthony. Mm -hmm. And, and Laura, is that um, the, the strategy classes that I took, you, you had finance people, you had all uh, marketing people, you had, had all sorts of people. And because it was a capstone, you needed to have some HR folks in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you take the, the, the strategy class and you marry this, the, the information from the employee relations class, you realize that employee relations and HR, really the big picture, doesn't necessarily cultivate or share with the students that strategy is as important in HR, if not more so, than it is in business level strategy, corporate level strategy, how you're going to capture all of those things. So I think if you step back some and start to cultivate at the educational level, that it's not just about, you know, we gotta go get employees and it's lovely and we've gotta be touchy-feeling, we've gotta do all of these wonderful things, um, if you don't get the best people coming out of school and going into the roles of HR professionals, how do you expect them to have the strategic vision to know how to do the things that need to be done when they get there? Uh -huh. So, I mean, magically, and I'm not as young and good looking as AJ, uh -huh. but, but he's older than he looks. I'm, I mean, I, I mean, he's I'm younger old, than he looks. I don't know, it's something. I'm older than I look, so, you know. <laughs> but the point is, um, not giving the students the correct perception of what HR could be. Yes. When you're training them to be HR professionals in school, limits those people to get to where you, where every business, every industry needs them to be. Period, mm -hmm. full stop, end of sentence. Yeah. Michael, AJ, I'm going to just respond to that quickly, if you don't mind. Uh, firstly, I want to, I've been agreeing with all these, you know, thank you hands emojis. In fact, I put my own up there. Uh, it is true 
you know, in business school, um, HR, most people are taught more task oriented, more, you know, technical aspects of the job. They're not really taught the people aspects, the management, the leadership aspects of the work. So that's just kind of a general business school thing. When you start getting into the more advanced strategic sort of leadership driven programs, we see that, you know, HR is really not introduced to those subjects very often. And this is something that AJ and I identified when we were going through, you know, sort of the development of our Project 2030 program and all of these sorts of things. You know, we really looked at this and said, you know, one of the things that is challenging for HR is that they are never really taught, they're never really exposed to the language of leadership. And, you know, earlier today I did a presentation and I spoke about how HR is not necessarily known as being a data-driven department, even though there's a lot of data around it. And the C-suite lives and dies on data and numbers, right? And so, you know, if HR is regarded as a department that doesn't really get it in terms of that sort of data-driven approach. Or that's the perception. Yeah, it's a perception. There's, you know, if that's the perception of them, of course they're being left out of those conversations because they are considered to be not getting it. And, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think that's the case for all HR people, but I do also think that there are quite a number of HR people that are kind of stuck in their lane. And that is one of the things that we hope to change, that we would love to see change, is HR people speaking the language of leadership, breaking out of their lane, becoming, pushing themselves forward. So let me, um, let, go let, ahead, let, let, me, let me respond to Michael briefly, Laura, and then, um, yeah, take us in any direction you want. Because he yeah. just landed on something. Laura, and if you remember the original model of the Project 2030 that we were trying to create, mm-hmm. Michael is actually landing on something that was the original structure. The original structure based off of the uh, the the 15 plus keynotes and fireside chats inside of the SHRM chapters, inside of the graduate HR programs was going to be targeted towards the students because you're exactly right. They're not taught these things inside of these organizations, inside of these schools, inside of these programs. And, you know, I guess another point that I maybe want to add, when, when we talk about strategy, when we talk about leadership, we're talking about a couple of different things here. We're talking about How do you have conversations, objective conversations, strategic conversations with CFOs, with CEOs, with CTOs? How do you take their their opinions, their perspectives, keep those things in mind while also pushing forward your initiatives? How do you have this employee's first mentality where you can go back and get all the data from your employees and utilize that data and be an advocate of your people and hold firm and strong with that perspective and, and, and tight with that perspective and don't be afraid to push back? And then the last part of it is now how do you think strategically when it comes to DEI or strategically when it comes to talent development or recruiting or all the processes and even some of the policy work there's ways to think about that even more strategically but to the Michael's point what he said is exactly right they're not teaching these things early on I'm very confused of, of why that is and I'll make one last statement and this is something my my mom always told me growing up she said for whatever reason I've always looked at you as a leader son And I've always tried to raise you as such, not a follower, not a doer. I want you to be a thinker, a thinker for yourself, an independent, um, someone that can really galvanize people around you out of a thought. And I now realize, you know, when I started a company in 19, I was like, maybe that's why, right? 
So we can even boil this all the way down to parenting, right? To the educational system. Now, we don't need to get that deep, but I think for those students that may be checking in at some point ever, or those folks now, think about that as well. You've been taught to be a doer. You've been taught to follow a playbook. Very few organizations, very few schools teach you to be a thinker, teach you to be independent. So just a couple of thoughts I wanted to add. Yeah. Thank you. And, and along that same vein, Crystal wrote in chat, also so many of the strategic conversations that are being had at that level are externally focused when HR folks are for the most part internally focused. So you're right, Crystal, you know, the job of HR is to, you know, keep the human resources of the organization in mind. Whereas, you know, other departments work on more of a customer focus. They work on more of a community focus, all of those sorts of things. Now, I'm going to say that this is another challenge that we have with HR. And again, that's speaking the language of leadership. It's my belief now, I, I've been a customer service trainer for like a very long time. And it's my belief that the voice of the customer should be present in every single department. That customer service is important everywhere. Because as Michael said, you know, you need to hire the right people. When you hire the right people, then they serve the customer's the best way in whatever way that is, designing product, um, marketing, communication strategies, retail and sales strategies. So, you know, an HR should be critical in the finding of those right people. Now, I think oftentimes HR is given the mandate, you know, okay, we need 40 people, just get me 40 people right now. I don't care what you do. I need 40 people by like yesterday. And so they're jumping to it and they're not, again, they're not giving this opportunity or they don't take the opportunity. Maybe that's what it is Let, to push back and say, hey, no, we need some strategy behind this. Let me add one thing on that, too. Um, yeah. And I want to maybe put this messaging to um, I don't know how many of these folks are in the audience right now or that may listen to this at some point. But what you're kind of getting down the path of is something I'm really passionate about, which is decision making structures and models. Right. Mm -hmm. So the HR folks that may be listening, you need to have the confidence, the the awareness, the strategic ability to say we need to restructure the decision making model. I had a call with uh, with an amazing woman yesterday and she was venting to me about a couple of th different things that are happening. Actually, Laura, on your part of the world, on the learning and development side of things and how she wasn't getting too, too much buy-in and then there was so, so much red tape and so much pausing and shifting and, and it was just taking so slow to get things off the ground. And I said, well, what's the decision-making structure? She said, what do you mean? I said, what, what, what are your accountabilities? What are your understandings around green light, yellow light, red lights? And I was walking her through how to have a very transparent conversation around here are the areas within my role that I need to have full autonomy with, full scope, full bandwidth, and anyone else within the scope of the organization that I need to have some buy-in or I need some data from or I need to interact with, I need to have full buy-in and full green lights from them as well. The, the pausing, the friction, the stopping, it causes us to be frustrated as HR leaders. It causes us to be slow. And then it causes us to inevitably not do our jobs well, aka the business doesn't operate well. So we need to go and have a conversation with our direct reports, which in most cases could be, now you're going to send me in a whole nother tangent here, the CFO, the COO, the CEO. I don't know. I've even heard of a company putting the, C, putting the, HR, the, the head of HR under a CTO. I don't even know what that means. But um, 
we need to talk about decision making structures, right? Like, yeah, what's the autonomy I have, and how can I be fluid with that autonomy, and how can I raise my hand and make a case for here are the moments where I, I need to have full bandwidth, here are the moments where I respect and I understand there needs to be a conversation or a pausing. So, yeah, that's another absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, uh, so it occurs to me as you were talking, it occurs to me that, you know, if we have a situation where we're telling the the HR leaders to sort of stay in their lane and not worry about stuff and, you know, or they're confused and they don't know quite which way to turn, you can imagine the trickle down effect to those people working under them. So they tend to just stay in their lane, um, keep doing what they're always doing and not really you know, pushing those boundaries. Yep. I want to bring up a couple of things that were in chat, and then I know we have a raised hand, so I want to get to that as well. We're going to butt up against time soon. Uh, we have a comment from Cherry May about how it's 100% true. We were not taught thought in business school. And Lynn Osler said, I wish more mem- mentorship within companies was made available or cross-training for strategic decision-making and planning. Yep. Now, here's the thing, Lynn, I, I thank you for saying that. And this is why Anthony and I created Project 2030. It's because these sorts of things are not offered in companies. Not not often anyway. There may be the occasional ones who do. Yep. So in essence, that's why we exist why this program exists is to help HR people to learn all of this and to, you know, to grow within it. So, um, and Laura, you know, yeah, go ahead. If I can add one little tiny thing on that as well. A lot of what we're talking about guys, if, and I know you guys are probably at amazing companies right now, so please don't take this disrespectfully. I know you guys are probably happy. Things are beautiful. But if you ever decide in your career, which is typical to transfer and leave and go into another organization, Maybe you're trying to take your crack at a CHRO for the first time. Maybe you're trying to jump over into L&D. Whatever you're trying to do, the conversations we're talking about should be had in the interview, right? The structures and the accountability that we're talking about here, the decision-making bandwidth, the power, the leverage, the structures, the abilities, you get that understanding in the interview, not try to get buy-in once you're in your role. And that's another thing I was talking to the young lady yesterday about. I said, I know we can't go back and cry over spilled milk, but... We should have talked about this in the interview. You would have really understood and you would have been seeing eye to eye with that CEO and said, yeah, he's BSing me right now. The bandwidth is not going to be there. There's going to be friction. There's going to be red tape because you can bring up examples. Well, what would you do in this scenario? What autonomy do I have in this scenario? So I just wanted to add that in there. Like folks should be doing this very proactively in the hiring process within their own careers. Thanks, AJ. Okay, I'm going to bring bring Michael Ryan back up on stage because he's got something more to add. Let's see if I can bring him up. I'm ready. Nope, Kata's already, she's way ahead of me, that Kata. Go ahead, Michael, what do you have to add to that? Slow computer. This not this whole concept of strategy not taught earlier. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is business schools need to catch up, but employers need to go to the business schools and then they need to make that a requirement. Yep. Of the yep. Hundred percent. And I'm not trying to point fingers at any given way. I'm trying to find some balance here. In that, um, the if employers are seeking the best and the brightest, which most employers are. Um, they should be seeking people who have those criteria and those skills. And so yeah. I think that there's a responsibility on both sides of the equation. The person, mm-hmm. the, the students in the middle, 
industries on one side and the educational industries on the other. And so I think you need to figure out, and you need to own it. You need to own it. You need to own your life. You need to be intrinsically motivated to get things for yourself because the world is likely not going to call you up and say, Anthony, you know what? You look like you could uh, be the world's greatest figure skater. I want you to come and, and train on my team. Yep. <coughs> you That's know? right. And um, so you've got to go out there and say, I want to be the world's greatest figure skater. Yeah. And do they have figure skating in, in Baltimore? Anthony, I don't know. Uh, they, got, they, got a couple, they got a couple things out here. <laughs> so thanks, Michael, for that. And, and you know, you were right. This doesn't get taught a lot in business school, and I do think business schools need to be updated a bit. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. There's an academic institution uh, in our country that has reached out to me and has asked for manager training and for leadership training because the customers are demanding something different mm -hmm. than the university is offering, and yep. they don't know how to make that shift into those sorts of discussions. So that's an interesting thing. You know, the customers are starting to ask for it. But here we are, you, Michael, you said two things. We need HR practitioners at whatever level they're at to get in the driver's seat of their own career and be pushing that forward so that they learn what they need to learn, to be confident, to have that impact, to have that influence, so that they are then taken as serious contributors to strategic discussions. So that's one side of it. The other side is we need to, as an HR industry, educate companies about what what this baby can do. Yep. Like, look at what we can do as HR people. This is like, let us do it and we will get it done. So this is the challenge before us. And, you know, Anthony and, Anthony and I, when we were talking about it, we can't really influence all these companies. But what we can do is help HR practitioners to find that language of leadership, to get those strategic thinking skills, those decision-making skills, to gain that confidence, to develop their personal brands. You know, our program works on developing their brand image, you know, their personal brand image and career impact and career development for their personal stages, but also those leadership conceptions. And it's a two-pronged approach that way. So HR, I believe, and I'm sorry, HR people, you know I love you and I'm on your side and I feel the same thing about learning and development. We need to find our voices and, that was and the other point that make ourselves known with leadership. Yeah, we need to do that. That was the second point I was going to make was HR people need to be able to speak the speak of the C-level, yeah. people in the C-level. If you don't learn how to speak that language, yeah. it would be hard to convince the C-level sweet individuals yeah. that what you're what you're communicating is valued and is valuable. Agreed. And Michael, Crystal, sorry, oh. AJ, go ahead. Oh, I was going to give one quick thing and then we can go to Crystal. I was going to say two things. Number one, um, in order to actually do that, there's a lot of content online. There's a lot of ways to do that by yourself. But also raise your hand and look for shadowing opportunities. That's a real thing. Ask if you can shadow and just be just be a fly on the wall in an executive meeting when the CEO is meeting with the COO, when the CEO is meeting with the VP of marketing, whatever the case is going to be. Try to be a fly on the wall. And then number two, what I was going to say as well, try to think about the type of HR practitioner, aka CHRO, that you actually want to be. 
So this is a thing that no one's even talking about and teaching as well. You know, when I was ahead of people internally for six years, I was a little bit different. You know, I sat eye to eye with the CEO, literally within my role, like within the decision-making bandwidth and structure. And my responsibility, because the CEO at the time had a very clear understanding of marketing, branding, partnerships, scaling the organization financially, he had no interest or no desire, no skill set to kind of look over the people and understand how those things worked. And so my job was to look at managers, was to look at executives, hold them accountable, teach them things, look in DEI, look in career mapping, look in LD, look in change management structures and communications, and, and, and kind of formalize those things at a highest level, right? I never touched some of the real simple tactical things that I think a lot of us HR directors are still touching, right? So we need to figure out what type of HR leader, director, CHR that we actually want to be, because there's a lot of different ones out there. You have to communicate that. Yeah. Crystal said it well. She said, you, you know, get out of your comfort zone, step back from the doer role and step up to being a strategic advisor. And Crystal, yes, you are so right about that. And yes, to everybody else, this is really difficult. Okay. Because the executive is not used to it from us. But I will say, Kata, don't you dare cut me off just yet. I will say that I have had experience with this. Apologies to Sarah's already heard me say this. Um, there was a time when I actually asked to be in an executive discussion. I actually came right out and asked my boss, who is the EVP of HR, can I please be at the table when this is being talked about? And he looked at me in shock. And he said, why would you need to be there? Hey guys, sorry about the interruption. There's a little bit of a break in the keynote, but I want to bring you guys right back into this amazing keynote. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for consuming. Let's get right back in. Organization, does it not make sense that I'm there during these discussions so that I get it? Okay, because if if I'm not there and it doesn't get communicated to me, how am I supposed to build what needs to be built? And I think the same thing exists for HR. If you're not there, how are you supposed to build what you need to build? And so, you know, as Brenda says, get a voice and get heard. Now, this is hard. It is challenging. But when you step out of your comfort zone, when you say, hey, I'm thinking about this, I'm problem solving on this, I am strategizing on this, people start to look at you in a different light so as crystal said she's so passionate about this point thank you aj um i am so passionate about it too as is aj now kata over you over to you last yeah, hold on I know, I know you're about to cut us oh. off i'm, I'm gonna right, take you yeah. i'm gonna take you one step further and this is just the football crazy mindset mentality that i have don't even ask make this an expectation it's not an asking if you're not getting this within your company leave and then go to another company where the infrastructures can be had. Now I know I have to be careful, family dynamics, kids, you have to be yeah. you have to be safe about that. Make the process of transitioning out a respectful and empathetic one to your context and to your scenario, but when the time is right, go to another organization and look that CEO in his or her face and say, "This is not a debate. This is not a conversation. This is the way that I think this role should be had. Here's the impact that I can make and here's how I want to show up in this role." Yeah, one little thing to add to that, I'm everybody out there, you know what you have to do to be able to do what AJ just said, you got to learn. 
you got to figure it out. Facts. You've got to do the research. You've got to put in the time to develop your careers. Big facts. And to develop yourself, okay? And when you do that, then Big you facts. also develop you, you develop your credibility. You develop your visibility. You increase your stock in the organization, and then they'll listen to you. So that's it for me. Kata. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I feel like it could have gone on for like an hour, so I hate to be the bad guy to jump in. Um, no, you're fine. So Laura, Laura, AJ, thank you so much. Um, this was fantastic. I think it really hit home with a bunch of people here. Um, thank you to everyone that participated, asked some questions, raised your hand. That was all fantastic. Um, thank you so much. If you want to stay in touch with the speakers, I believe you can find them on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and next up after this, um, I believe, is the mega session starting in a few minutes, um, talking about bridging the culture gap. Um, so again, thank you both so, so much. Thanks, Scott. Thank, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you to Social HR Camp. And if you have time, uh, come to see us at the Sea Change Learning booth, and we'll be there to talk further. Thanks so much. I put my LinkedIn in chat, so please connect. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Bye, guys. Everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See ya.